Welcome, adventurers. It has been said that an avalanche starts with one pebble. A pebble fell in season one. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon Tylee stood behind his desk, hands grasping the sill of the open window. Below, the Fenfergal River wound its way south through the landscape. The expanse of the Gimlin Woods on the west bank followed the river all the way to the horizon. The fertile fields on the east bank were vast, eventually reaching the base of the Shalshali Mountains. Every day at this time, for a period of a half-bell, soul-setting light danced on the river's surface, turning it from its normal sapphire blue to a sparkling gold, as if Gorion himself had braided a giant flaxen rope and laid it gently on the land. Many poems had been written about the Fenfergal River, and many called to its beauty at this very hour. Liquid soul, the jeweler's envy, the gilded water. The central spire of soul citadel, more commonly referred to as just the citadel, was arguably the best place from which to view this phenomenon in all the province. The spire was made of gray stone and rose over a hundred and thirty feet into the air, the tallest crafted structure in the Bharata province. It was here, just one floor below the top of the spire, that Tylee stood, staring out over this majestic scene. But it was not the Fenfergal that held his attention nor had it been for nigh three weeks. Tylee stared at the road leading from the southern gate, the road that covered the half-mile from the last road to the citadel, the road on which Mother Sarkeesian should have returned on well over a fortnight ago. Tylee could see travelers moving along the last road. From this height and distance, they appeared as insects crawling along on whatever business such bugs might have. But none peeled off the last road to make the approach to the citadel. None sounded the brass horn that indicated sisters or brothers returning from a successful hunt. In the mother's absence, it was Tai Lee who was in charge. Tai Lee was the guardian. The ruling council of the Order of Seoul named the Council of Elders, was, and always had been, made up of three. The mother, the father, and the guardian. Though the day-to-day -day decisions and running of the order was administered by the group as a whole, one always stood as the figurehead, the de facto leader in the eyes of the populace of the Bharata province. When one of them assumed this position, Grand was added as a prefix to their normal title. Which one of the three was the figurehead changed every three months. Mother Sarkeesian had stepped up as the grandmother just a week before she had left on her mission to Daggermount. And since that day, neither she nor any she had rode out with had returned. Tylee would have stepped up next as Grand Guardian when Sarkeesian had finished her term. 
so it fell to him. He had spent hours staring out this window, hours praying to Gorion to return the grandmother to them safely. But the hours were wasted, and the prayers were as of yet unanswered. Soul's light waned, the golden illusion faded, and the Fenfergal surrendered its magic. Shadow reached out across the landscape below. To begin with, Tylee held hope and faith in his heart. Sarkeesian was strong, Sarkeesian was wise, but every day at Soul's setting, a piece of that hope faded. A second much larger unit had been sent out nine days past. Twenty-five sisters and brothers had rode out under the command of Brother Vendrama to follow in Sarkeesian's path, to investigate the fate of her mission. But they had yet to return. Tylee stared on as the scene below receded, bit by bit, into the darkness of night. As it now stood, there were 532 sworn brothers and sisters in the Order of Soul. 271 acolytes also lived and trained within the walls. The Order of Soul maintained itself by and large, cooking, cleaning, growing, and harvesting food, smithing of weapons, and the construction and maintenance of structures within the citadel were all duties they shared and performed together. Even so, there were somewhere between 150 and 200 civilians that lived within the walls as well to help with the day-to-day -day running of the fortified town. At any given time, there were as many as 200 brothers and sisters on active missions or routine patrol outside the walls. 174, Tylee thought, remembering the last report that had crossed his desk. The order was autonomous, but worked closely with the duodecim, Jomatos ruling council. The order patrolled the province, addressing threats to smaller villages and settlements that were too small to maintain standing garrisons. Further, they kept vigilant watch for the appearance of corrupt and evil beings, using Gorion's blessing to drive such creatures from the realm. Mordukal was one such creature. The village and abbey of Daggermount were a five days' ride south and east of the citadel. Situated on a highland moor, the people of Daggermount were a hardy, if not headstrong, bunch who preferred life in the small and remote village. Most were the descendants of the tradesfolk and farmers that constructed the abbey, though some few made their way to live far from the rule and refinement of the province. There were a little less than two hundred villagers at the last known count. The abbey was home to a group of monks known as the Duntat that also valued isolation. They took vows of silence and sequestered themselves for a period that lasted twenty-one years at a time. When the vows were complete, they would leave the abbey for a year's time, free to interact with the world at large and do as they saw fit. But to remain a member, one had to return to the abbey within a year and take up the vow again. There were roughly fifty done tat to Tylee's knowledge. The monks were renowned for their beautiful illuminations. A tome illuminated by the dun tat sold for as much as five gold per page. The waiting list to get something from their hand was said to be eight years long. Daggermount was just the sort of place the Order of Soul would visit and watch over, were it not for the residents. 
Being a proud bunch, they saw such visits as an implication of weakness and an attempt to assert authority over their little piece of freedom. The original envoys to the town had been met with cold disdain, and eventually with requests to be left to their own devices. The Council of Elders had met and discussed this request at length, and it was eventually decided that one patrol a year would find an excuse to happen upon the town. This was also met with hostility and rebuke, and the interval was raised to two years, and then to five. When word of the strange goings-on around the village of Daggermount finally reached the order, it had been over seven years since a patrol had made a visit. Complaints had come from a wealthy Jumato merchant, whose delivery of a 700-page history of his life and exploits from the Duntat was now overdue by more than a year. Unwilling to stand for it, the merchant had put out feelers and inquiries, eventually coming to the realization that no finished work had come out of the abbey in over two years. His concerns had been brought up to the duodecim, who had in turn contacted the order. An investigation had been launched, and scouts had been sent to watch the comings and goings on the road to Daggermount. It turned out there were none. There was an attempt to find the one trader who was known to do business in the town, but she could not be located. To that matter, neither could any of her family. It became clear that they had not been seen in over a year. It was at that point Gorion provided the answer they were looking for. A poor and tattered villager had come to the citadel, come with a terrible story. The village and abbey of Daggermount had fallen under the control of a terrible man who walked only at night. Beautiful and powerful, he did as he wished, killed whom he saw fit. The monks had been killed, the man having taken the abbey for his own residence. There were few left in Daggermount, the villager said. Very few. Did this man have a name, the villager was asked. The villager had shivered and whispered the name. Mordukal. Though he could not even see past the outer wall, Tylee still stood at the window, staring out into the night sky. He thought of these past events and little else for the last month. He could not say exactly why, but he could not pull himself from the window. Could not stop staring to the south. The weeks of stress and anxiety left him feeling worn, raw, and ragged. He slept no more than four hours a night. Each time he woke, he felt as if he belonged to the world a little less. Like a spirit, he viewed the world, but was not part of it. Maybe he was not awake, but stuck in a nightmare instead. The same thing, day in and day out. He signed reports. He took meetings. He ate his meals here in his office. And he stood at this window, watching and waiting. Something had to change. The door behind him opened, and a moment later it closed. Tylee could smell fresh baked bread and roasted meat, but he did not turn. Feet padded across the floor, and the sound of a plate being placed down on his desk followed. The feet should have retreated back across the floor, but after some unrecognized period of time had passed, it occurred to him that they had not. Some bold acolyte this was, Tylee thought.
He prepared to wither this presumptuous farrier of food. He stood straight, surprised at the soreness in his back. How long had he stood at the window? A bell? Two? No matter. He straightened his jacket, face molding into a picture of disapproval that could only be achieved after years of command. He turned. Standing before him was no acolyte. The figure was tall, near six feet. Their head was shaved smooth to the bronze skin. Piercing hazel eyes stared back at Tai Lee, and as they did, the look shifted from one of concern to a sparkle of humor, one side of their full lips drawing up ever so slightly. They couldn't be further from an acolyte. This was Father Ool, the other remaining member of the Council of Elders. You haven't pointed that look in my direction in over five years, Grand Guardian, they said, the amusement quickly returning to silent concern. The look didn't leave Tai Lee's face, but intensified. Do not call me that. Sarkeesian is the grandmother until we know different. Father Ool looked back unspeaking, concern tinged with sadness. Tylee could see in their eyes. They didn't think she was coming back. Instead of speaking, Ool pushed the plate across the table. Tylee waited for them to say something, anything, so he could rage and yell, so he could let out this nagging, tired, and frustration. But they did not. After almost an entire bar passed in silence, he reached out, pulling back a stool, and sat down hard, glaring at Ool as if they were a parent forcing a child to eat unwanted vegetables. But they just stared back, and so finally, in exhaustion, he gave up his defiance and began to eat. It changed everything. When was the last time he had eaten? Now that he thought of it, he had chased off the acolyte who had brought him lunch and had only picked through his breakfast. As the food hit his stomach, he was drawn back into his body. The sensation of nourishment filled him up, but it also brought into focus just how exhausted he was. He finished his food, pushed the plate aside, and placed his elbows on the desk, putting his face into his hands. You must take care of yourself, Tylee. Ool said softly. The order needs us, needs you, now more than ever during this time of uncertainty. Tylee sat unmoving, face still clasped in his hands. We must move forward. Vendroma's patrol should return very soon, Ool continued. And we must be prepared for any outcome. They paused to let the word settle. And then, very quietly, we must begin looking at successors for the position of mother. Tylee's shoulders began to shake as Ool went on. Who knows what we face, but my instincts tell me we have vastly underestimated Mordecai's strength, and that it has cost us dearly. We cannot make that mistake again. Tylee looked up. Tears streamed down his weathered cheeks. I cannot shake this feeling of dread. That Sarkeesian's absence has opened up the door for something terrible. Ool stepped around the desk, placing a hand on Tylee's shoulder. Let us retire to the chapel and pray, Grand Guardian. We must ask Orion for guidance, and then you must get some sleep.
Fires burned in two large braziers at each end of the bridge across the moat. The stone bridge, six paces in width, spanned the moat, which was some fifteen paces wide and ten paces deep. It was filled with brackish water and made a complete circuit around the citadel. This bridge, the southern bridge, was one of two wide enough to cross with horse and cart. There was another on the north side of the citadel. Two smaller bridges to the east and west accommodated foot traffic, but were gated at both ends and long since shut for the evening. Sister Tom Vera and three others stood guard outside the southern gate. There was a certain meditative quality to the night watch. The flickering fires, the wheeling of the stars in the heaven, the travels of Arjun and Cerise through the blanket of the darkest blue night sky. It was quiet, and standing beneath all this beauty made her feel closer to Gorion, strange for one who belonged to an order dedicated to soul. But sometimes the absence of a thing is what made you appreciate it the most. That is why after all these years she still volunteered to stand the night watch. She stood now near the north end of the bridge, some ten paces from the base of the wall, and the closed southern gate. Her arms were clasped behind her back, looking into the sky. Her contemplation was interrupted by the clatter of horse hooves on the southern end of the bridge. Her head dropped down to look, hand falling to the hilt of her sword. A lone figure sat atop a white horse, slouched and wearing a dark and tattered cloak. Who would come to the citadel at this hour? Someone in need was all she could imagine. With a hand gesture, she motioned for Brother Epp to join her. The figure sat at the opposite end of the bridge, unmoving. She drew her sword and nodded to Epp, who took the halberd from off his shoulder, gripping it in two hands. They made their way across the bridge, stopping five paces shy of the rider. The horse adjusted its feet and let out a nicker. But the slumped figure still did not speak. Hail, stranger. What business do you have with the Order of Soul? How may we share Gorion's light with you? Tom Farah called. The figure shifted the horse slightly, the hooded head lifting for the first time. In the firelight she could see two twinkling eyes of blue. A blonde ponytail draped over one shoulder spilled from the hood. The face seemed scarred as if by fire. A sneer drew onto the face, brilliant white teeth reflected in the flickering light. And then the figure spoke. Go fetch your father, O guardian, he said in a condescending tone. I wish to discuss the whereabouts of Frayne de Ilion with them. Who has come to call on the Order of Soul at this late hour? Stay tuned next week for part two of Soul Set.